Please remain standing and pray with me. Come Holy Spirit now and fill this place with your presence. Anoint the teaching and preaching of your word. Lord, we desire to encounter you in the scriptures, Lord, and in the breaking of bread this morning. We pray, Lord God, that your, your spirit would be upon your people to give us ears that listen and receive well the truth of God's word. And please be with me, the preacher of your word, Lord. Let nothing that I say be an error or misleading or said in the flesh, but please let these words be by the power of your Holy Spirit, deeply, deeply rooted in God's word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You may be seated. This morning we're going to be listening to that gospel reading again. We're going to go back to that scripture one more time. Because in that gospel reading from Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52, we are back on the road to Jerusalem with Jesus. And we know that Jesus is on his way there for what will, be, what will come to be known as Holy Week. It is the, he is going up to his passion and death on the cross. So that week begins with the triumphal entry into Jerusalem where the crowds are shouting Hosanna to Jesus as their Messiah King. And it ends with the crowds shouting for his crucifixion. It begins with shouts of acclamation and ends with shouts for the death of Jesus. And right now, Jesus is on his way out of the town of Jericho, which is actually literally down the hill from Jerusalem. And that's the point where we encounter Bartimaeus. And we need to recognize, though, in this passage, where Mark places under the inspiration, where this passage of Scripture comes in his gospel. It's the final little story, a little story. These little stories are also known as pericopes. It's just a fun word to say. I like saying it, pericope. It just means a little story uh, in a long block of intense instruction in what it means to be a disciple. So that section on discipleship in Mark's gospel begins when Jesus heals another blind man, blind man, way back in Mark chapter 8. And the healing of Bartimaeus is the other bookend that closes this section on discipleship. What it means to be a Christ follower. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? That's what discipleship is. And also, this account of Bartimaeus immediately follows the passage that we heard, read, and preached about last week in which James and John ask Jesus for seats on his right and left hand when he comes into his glory. They, that is, they are requesting, as Father Benji uh, so eloquently put it, they are, they are seeking vain glory. Vain glory. That's a word we don't use very often, but it was used quite frequently in the early church to describe that kind of self-seeking ambition. And that vainglory was a, an example of bad discipleship. That's what bad discipleship looks like. Jesus tells them that lust for power and prestige and position are characteristic of the pagan Gentile world. These are the things that the, the Gentiles go after. This is how the Gentiles act. They're characteristic. Power, prestige, position are characteristic of the pagan Gentile world and that his followers should strive to serve all and not to lord it over all. So defective discipleship, defective discipleship is, is following Jesus, listen, with pagan expectations. Following Jesus with pagan expectations. And right on the heels of that story comes the account of 
Bartimaeus. Now, Mark places those two narratives, the James and John seeking to be at the right and left hand of Jesus when he comes to his glory, and the story about Bartimaeus. He places those two narratives back to back because he wants us to see the comparison between, listen, defective discipleship and authentic discipleship. So we're being instructed by this contrast between what is defective discipleship and what is authentic discipleship. And we know these two stories are intentionally linked because Jesus asks identical questions to James and John and then to Bartimaeus. Do you remember what he said back in Mark 10, 36? James and, uh, um, James and John come to him and he asks them, what do you want me to do for you? And then here in verse 51, he asks the same thing of Bartimaeus. What do you want me to do for you? So there's a definite and intentional link there. So here's the point, okay? Our expectations and desires as followers of Jesus Christ, our expectations and desires as followers of Jesus Christ will determine whether we have an authentic or a defective discipleship. James and John point to a defective discipleship. Mark uses Jesus' encounter with Bartimaeus to convey a model of what it means to be an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. We need these reminders, folks. We need to have the true north of discipleship, sent, uh, our compasses reoriented again and again to the true north of discipleship. Now, you know that I'm not a big fan, or maybe you don't know this, but I am not a big fan of what I call enumerated sermons. You know, have you ever heard one of those enumerated sermons? It's like, you know, five ways to better child rearing, you know, or uh, uh, nine steps to marital harmony, or, or four steps to four more fulfilling Bible study. I don't like those things, first of all, because, listen, lists are inherently boring. They're boring. Nobody wants to listen to somebody's list. And secondly, though, they kind of feed our therapeutic pragmatism, you know, those, those types of Sermons tend to be very pragmatic, very therapeutic, and, and really can kind of skew us away from gospel, from good news. But with all that in mind, I'm going to give you an enumerated sermon this morning. And here it is. Jesus in this encounter, and of course it's got to be the number seven, because that's a Bible number, you know. But there really are, I see in this passage, Seven clear qualities of authentic discipleship. So with that in mind, let's jump right in. So discipleship, number one, begins with recognizing our utter dependence on Jesus Christ. Discipleship begins with recognizing our utter dependence on Jesus Christ. We cannot approach God with any self-confidence in our own merit or worthiness. If you remember last week's text, James and John came to Jesus from a position of privilege, maybe even a sense of entitlement. Remember that they had been a part of the inner circle with Peter. Of course, Peter didn't get included in this request for glory at Jesus' right and left hand. Uh, go back and listen to the sermon from last week. I think Father Benji had great insights on that. But they had been, a, they had been and were and are at this point a part of Jesus' inner circle. But in contrast, Bartimaeus is the uh, archetypal outsider. He is outside of the mainstream of the socioeconomic order because he is a blind beggar. That places him outside. 
He sits begging where? He's outside the city of Jericho. He is outside the crowd, crying out to be close to Jesus, vying to be close to Jesus. And when he attempts to gain entry to the inside, to come in close to Jesus, he is literally told, shut up. Be quiet. Stay on the outside where you belong, Bartimaeus. So Bartimaeus has no claim whatsoever on Jesus. He is a beggar and he knows that. He knows that Jesus owes him nothing. All that he can do is call from the outside, Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Outsider, nothing, no claim on Jesus whatsoever. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And from his position as a beggar on the outside, Jesus hears and welcomes him in. You know, the beginning of discipleship is recognizing that we come, just like Bartimaeus, to Jesus Christ as beggars. We recognize our neediness and our position of absolute dependence. We have no claim on God at all based on our good works or moral merit. We have no claim on God because of good deeds we've done or our moral merit. All our righteousness is as filthy rags. We have no claim of God, on God based on our intellectual prowess or our educational accomplishments. Those letters before or after your name just don't impress God at all. We have no claim on God based on our career or social position. We have no claim on God based on our bank account or our family prestige. You know, Augustus Toplady, what a great name, Augustus Toplady. Actually, uh, he was a contemporary with uh, the Wesleys, and he found that the, the Wesleyan movement was just full of enthusiasm. And let me tell you what, in the 1700s, you didn't want to have enthusiasm. It was not a compliment. It was kind of like, you're, you're a, a wild-eyed fanatic is what they meant by that. And, but he ended up writing a hymn because he knew that Charles Wesley was a great hymn writer, and he wanted to write an equally uh, compelling gospel hymn that straight away, that did not adhere to the kind of enthusiasm that the Wesleys were stirring up. But he gave us one of the great hymns, which I think is quite heartwarming, one of the great hymns of the, of the church, Rock of Ages. Rock of Ages. And listen to those words from Augustus Toplady. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling, Naked come, to, naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. There is no, self, there is no such thing as a self-sufficient disciple. The second uh, mark of genuine, authentic discipleship here is a disciple acknowledges Jesus' unique claim as the Messiah of Israel and the fulfillment of God's promises in the Old Testament. When Bartimaeus calls Jesus the son of David, have mercy on me, son of David, he is publicly confessing that Jesus is the Messiah, the saving king of Israel. Jesus is heading up to Jerusalem where a cruel death on the cross awaits him and for the very first time in Mark's entire gospel, Jesus allows someone to publicly announce, for the very first time, Jesus allows someone to publicly announce that he is Messiah. Up to this point, Jesus has silenced those who would proclaim him to be Messiah. 
But now as the cross comes clear and the true meaning of the Old Testament prophecies regarding a suffering Messiah, a suffering servant, are about to be fulfilled, he allows Bartimaeus to shout this title, Jesus, Son of David. And ironically, it is the crowd. It's not Jesus who wants to silence Bartimaeus' confession that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. So to be a disciple is to acknowledge that Jesus is God's one and only promised anointed one. Messiah means anointed one. So to be a disciple means that we acknowledge that Jesus is God's one and only promised anointed one. It's been a few years back, my, Greg, my friend Greg Jinks, and by the way, I was just hiking with him uh, this past week on some time off, and uh, he and I uh, had a good time talking together. We, uh, fr uh, frivolity and foolishness abounded. It was a lot of fun. But my friend Greg Jinks related to me that he and his wife were in a, an adult Sunday school class in a mainline denomination some time ago, and there was a heated discussion, an argument in that Sunday school class over the question of whether, whether or not Jesus Christ is God's unique position for the, uh, or unique provision for the salvation of the world. And my thought at that point was, why are you even having a Sunday school class if you don't, settle, if you don't have that settled? But you see, if we are to be disciples, there, there can be no question about that, that Christ is the one and only provision we have for our right relationship with God. How do we know that? Well, Jesus himself says in John 14, 6, you know this verse. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is claiming as to be the exclusive means of God's saving grace. And then the disciples, we remember this, when the disciples are brought before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, um, what, do they what do they say before the Sanhedrin? Peter, who had just a few days before been the one who denied Christ in a fit of cowardice, stands before that, that meeting of the leaders of Israel and boldly declares this, salvation is found in no one else. How many other people is no one else? Zero. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So salvation, we acknowledge, comes from Christ. That's what it means to be a disciple. Jesus is God's one and only means for our salvation. The third quality of authentic discipleship is that a disciple passionately desires, passionately desires Christ. Bartimaeus sought Jesus with a holy desperation. Nothing was going to dissuade him from encountering Jesus. Mark chapter 10, verse 48, and many rebuked him. That crowd, those disciples, many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. And then what does it say? But he cried out all the more. He cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. You know, we see this over and over again in those whose lives are transformed by Jesus Christ. The woman who was ritually unclean due to her constant bleeding would let nothing deter her from touching Jesus, reaching out for the hem of his garment so that she could be healed. She snuck up behind him in the crowd. She wouldn't let anybody get in her way. That Gentile Syrophoenician woman who, whose daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit 
literally argued, literally argued Jesus, not figuratively, literally argued Jesus into healing her daughter. She argued him into it. Yes, Lord, but even the little dogs under the table get to eat the scraps. A holy perseverance in seeking God is a characteristic of discipleship. The point is that we can't treat Jesus, listen, folks, we cannot treat Jesus as a hobby and still be his disciple. Jesus is not something with which we accessorize our lives. You know, our flesh, and I feel this, our flesh, that part of our human being that resists God, our flesh fears that God wants to take over our entire existence, that if we let this living God into our lives, He will completely consume us, and the flesh's worst fears are true. The flesh is right to fear that because God does desire to be our one great passion. But when we let that happen, when we do give ourselves completely to God, when we we allow ourselves to be immersed in the consuming fire of God's love, that's when real joy bursts out from us. That's where real joy is to be found. It cannot be found in half-hearted discipleship. That leads to frustration and unfulfillment. You know, the theme that God wants my passionate engagement with Him runs throughout the entire Scriptures. The the list of of verses we could go through is is so long as to to take up the entire service. But, But just to hear a few, Deuteronomy 4, verse 24, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. He wants us, all, all of us. Jeremiah 39, 13 and 14, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. When you seek me with all your heart. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. James chapter 4, verse 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lord, I'm so double-minded. Please purify my heart. Real discipleship, the the fourth mark of real discipleship is that it is marked by joyful obedience. Joyful obedience. What happens when Jesus calls Bartimaeus to him? Well, listen to this again. It's verse 50. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. I love the fact that Mark lets us know that he threw off, that Bartimaeus threw off his cloak. You know, that reminds us that we should be ready to shed anything that hinders us in coming to Christ. As a beggar, Bartimaeus' cloak was perhaps his only source of warmth and protection through the night. He is is leaving everything behind him when he sheds his cloak to come to Jesus. And in the same way, we have to be willing to walk away from our security, our intellectual pride, and our self-directed lives in order to be followers of Jesus. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. This verse comes to mind as we think about this. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also, listen, lay aside, lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. Lay aside those things and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. When you hike, and I was doing that this week, when you hike, one of the, one of the mistakes that... Um, 
many people make when they begin to back, become backpackers is they, they take everything they can think of in their backpack. I mean, they've got those little fold-up chairs. I literally have seen this. Those little fold-up chairs. You know, they might have, um, you know, all, all kinds of stuff, you know, things that you, you, you think would be really cool to have but aren't exactly necessary. But as you, as you begin to backpack, you recognize, oh, my goodness, I should have left that at home because it is, it, not only is it slowing me down, it's wearing me out. And so I, I feel like a failure if I have a 30-pound backpack. I want it to be 25 pounds. If I could get it under 25 pounds, that would be even better. And you know what? Here's the thing, is that when we cast away those unnecessary weights, that hike is more enjoyable. When we cast away our unnecessary encumbrances as disciples, our following Jesus is more full of joy. The fifth, fifth element of of Authentic discipleship is a disciple has faith in Jesus. Now, this is so obvious, but I think that the character of the faith, that faith is dramatically painted by Bartimaeus' request. This is verse 51, Mark 10, 51. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Now, you have to wonder why. Think about this, y'all. Why did Jesus asked Bartimaeus what he wanted. I mean, the beggar is standing right there in front of him. He's obviously blind. But Jesus' question allows Bartimaeus to give full expression to his faith. Jesus, I believe that you can do this. Let me see again. And you can almost hear the breathless, desperate faith in that reply. Now, as we talked about at the beginning of the sermon... Jesus asked Bartimaeus the same question that he asked James and John. But uh, ironically, it is James and John who are blind to the real nature of discipleship when they ask for vainglory. But Bartimaeus asks for the right thing. He doesn't ask for power. He asks to receive his sight. He wants to see clearly. And a really cool thing is um, there are early Arabic translations of the, of the New Testament. So, of course, we know that the New Testament is written in Greek, but as the gospel goes out, it gets translated into many different languages. We heard it in English this morning. There's, in the 10 hundreds, in the 11th century, there was an Arabic compilation of, a translation and compilation of all four gospel, gospels called the Arabic diatessaron or diatessaron. And so this, I love this translation because it, listen to how it renders Bartimaeus' request. Let me receive my sight that I might see you. Let me receive my sight that I might receive, that I might see you. That's faith. And a, a disciple, genuine discipleship, number six, is saved through faith alone. A disciple is one who has been saved through faith alone. Go, this is verse 52, go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. When Jesus says your faith has healed you, he uses the word in Greek, sozo, which means both to heal and to save. To heal, H-E-A-L, and to save are the same word in Greek, sozo. 
And the same is true for us. It is by coming to Jesus, as Bartimaeus did, as empty-handed beggars, believing that Jesus is the Messiah who has the power to transform our lives, that we are saved. Indeed, it is because God makes us aware of our very God makes us aware of our very neediness, our beggared condition, that we come to Jesus at all. One writer says this. I like this very much. This is actually Walter Brueggemann. Jesus' response is quick and simple. Go, your faith has cured you. Cured you. His faith has done it. His faith is an act of hope which refuses to settle for the status quo. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The blind man's only resource was things hoped for. His only resource were things hoped for, things not seen. And such faith gave him sight. You know, brothers and sisters, we live in what we would call a meritocracy, a system that rewards hard work and accomplishment. At least we think it does. But there is no work, there is no good deed, nothing that we can do that can save us. It is only in Jesus Christ by faith alone that we are transformed. And finally, the last mark of genuine discipleship is that a disciple follows Jesus. Mark 10, 52, immediately, Bartimaeus, he received his sight. And what does it say? And he followed Jesus along the road. Where does that road lead to? Where does the road that, that Bartimaeus is following Jesus on lead to? It leads to Calvary. Discipleship is not a life of stagnation. It's a dynamic walk with a real person on a day-to-day basis. Jesus' walk in the gospel will take him to the cross. And as his disciples with Bartimaeus, we have to follow Jesus to the cross. But it doesn't stop at the cross. It continues beyond death to a new country. When Jesus is raised to life again on the third day, he invites us to follow him with him. Follow him there as well. He invites us to share his victory over death and defeat. Disciples who follow can do that. And that invitation from Jesus is what we we come back to Sunday by Sunday. One of the reasons we do this is we need to have the gospel not only given to us in our ears through the preaching of the word, but the gospel proclaimed to us in bread and wine so that we can taste and see that the Lord is good. We we need to hear God's word. But the reformers said that the Lord's Supper was like the seal of uh, an official seal that's stamped in wax on a document that, that gives that document its efficacy. When the sovereign placed his seal on that document, those were words on a page until it had the sovereign's decree that these are my words guaranteed for you. That's what happens here. Our king says, follow me. This is my body which is given for you. This is my blood which is shed for you. Follow me through the cross. Because when you follow me all the way there, you also share in the victory of my resurrection. And we say it every Sunday, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again.
brothers and sisters, this morning, all of us who are baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who've experienced the wonderful gift of the new birth, are invited to renew our discipleship once again at this feast of bread and wine. Won't you please open your hearts to the transforming power of God's grace as we come to the table this morning. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.